Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com. Uh, Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. Today is the 20th of April, 2022, and the title of today's show is continuing with the Dr. Ardis interview on Mike Adams' Health Ranger on Brighteon. Dr. Ardis interview part three, Religious War. And I'm going to try and focus on the info that was not shared in the Stu Peters interview, because as I said in the last couple of shows, Mike Adams' interview going to much more detail, because as I say, his, his being um, a scientific background, he asks some really pertinent questions and draws out more of an explanation of what Dr. Ardis is sharing than Stu Peters did in that short interview because on the Mike Adams interviews we've actually got like at least three hours of content so I'm just going to dive straight in and um, share what he has to say and I'll also be sharing a bit of uh, supplementary information that I've looked up in the process of going through this interview so Moderna can use mRNA to treat snake bites. And of course, just for those, if there's anyone who hasn't watched my previous interviews or listened to the um, content of the previous interviews that Dr. Ardis has done, I really suggest that you go back and listen to those because this will give you the whole picture of, of what Dr. Ardis is revealing. And it's really the, the principle that snake venom is responsible for COVID-19 and is also included in the mRNA vaccines and in remdesivir, which is the only approved treatment for COVID-19 and which we knew we know causes multiple organ failure and deaths in the people who are treated with it. Okay, so diving in. Um, there are two coinciding global crises, COVID-19 and snake bites, but one research and development opportunity. Ophirex caught on to the Moderna comment about using mRNA for snake bites. Moderna co-founder Derek Rossi became an advisor to Ophirex, who is working on an anti-venom pill. Ophirex receives grants from the Department of Defense, which is interesting. They've had an award from the Wellcome Trust, and the, the Wellcome Trust is linked to the World Economic Forum and involved in gain-of-function research, as Mike Adams co commented, and also has the World Health Organization logo on its website. Offerex received a $2.5 million award from the Wellcome Trust. Offerex is developing Varus Pladib, weird name, as a first-in-class toxin-targeting antidote for snakebite by inhibiting the progression of a key venom component called SPLA2, which Dr. Ardis says is SARS-CoV-2, COVID-2. The World Health Organization reinstated snake bite and venoming to its list of neglected tropical diseases in 2017 and has outlined strategies to reduce the death and disability toll by half by 2030. And Dr. Ardis jumped on this. He said, the World Economic Forum talks about climate change and there needs to be an entire change to the planet that they are orchestrating as the Great Reset. 
that needs to be completed by the year 2030. So we've got two incidences of the year 2030 being mentioned. And the question is, you know, are they connected? He says, isn't it amazing that they're going to invest all this money in snake venom? I think they're doing this, injecting snake venom into all the people around the world. And they're going to select who they want to save with an anti-venom they're investing in. Mike Adams commented, so what you're saying is they create a pandemic, they use the media to hype it up, they start treating people with venom, remdesivir, that causes people to die, they call the deaths COVID deaths, and they use that to panic people into taking vaccines, which, and then I don't know what he then said as Dr. Ardis interrupted, um, but they are saying at least 4 billion people, half the planet, are vaccinated. They're going to need to vaccinate more people by introducing more lockdowns like China is doing. And my comment is, I don't buy this theory of Dr. Ardis about the link between the development of the anti-venom drug and saving select people who are vaxxed. How would they justify giving an anti-venom drug to people without revealing the whole plan to envenomate people? And also, the select people that they want to save, surely they would not be getting the vaccine because they're wise to it. I mean, look at the fact that Congress was excluded from the mandates, as were those who work for Congress or the federal court system. So they're protecting their own, basically. So continuing on with the interview, uh, Varus Pladib, a repurposed molecule with an extensive development and safety record. Varus Pladib blocks SPLA2, which comes from cobra venom, and is a predictor of mortality in SARS-CoV-2. Responding to the COVID-19 on Afarix's website, as the coronavirus pandemic surged in 2020, OfferX reviewed earlier data to evaluate Varus Pladib's potential as an effective therapy for acute respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS, a primary cause of death in COVID-19 patients. Dr. Ardis clarifies that OfferX only specialises in developing an anti-venom oral pill, they're in the third stage of clinical trials for using their anti-venom drug for COVID-19. And on their website, our hypothesis is that Varus Pladib may be able to address two critical mechanisms of ARDS by stabilising dysregulated inflammatory response and by preventing lung surfactant degradation. It's the STAIRS project small molecule targeting acute inflammatory and respiratory symptoms in SARS-CoV-2. Co-venom-19 is what Dr. Ardis calls it. Um, loss of taste and smell is also a side effect of snake venom, oral or by bite. It's not caused by cobra venom, but it's caused by crates permanent or semi-permanent nerve damage as the toxins adhere to nerve cells. Agusia, following cobra envenomation, which means loss of sense of taste, comes after sucking out cobra venom. The person who sucked out the venom from two cobra snake bite victims developed features of respiratory par paralysis and required ventilatory support two hours after helping the second victim. On the NIH website, changes in smell, including loss of smell as well as taste, have been reported following Australian elapid bites, which are vipers, mainly black snakes. It may persist for months to years. In The Blacklist, Season 4, Episode 15, released in 2017, The Apothecary, the entire COVID-19 pandemic is outlined in one episode. The two snakes found in China to have the codon usage bias related to COVID-19, a cobra and crate. 
this character that's been poisoned, he says he has spent his entire life surrounded by the corona of death. The drops taken from his apartment included a peptide unique to the venom of the red-headed crate. There's only one source of this venom in Scranton, Pennsylvania. They needed to know Reddington, who's the victim, his pre-existing conditions, because that's what the poisoner, the apothecary, targets. Reddington has a lung condition. The mRNA vaccines for COVID-19 were created in Pennsylvania by Drew Weissman and Catalin, and he doesn't mention the last name and I can't remember it, work at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, it's all predictive programming. He drank the drink with drops and then got the same conditions as the SARS-CoV-2 respiratory virus. Dr. Ardis is concerned by the CDC water testing, the wastewater surveillance program, which I've mentioned in a previous show. 400 sites. They haven't released the data or information about what they were testing for specifically. They test water samples using a PCR test, which in a previous show, um, Dr. Ardis shared that PCR tests are used to identify snake venom, interestingly. They can predict that an outbreak will occur four to five days later. Why would there be a future outbreak if the test results relate to people who have already had COVID? The only way they can be predictive is if they're putting it in the water and you're drinking it and exhibiting the same symptoms. A 2015 test with rats drinking cobra venom in water exactly the same symptoms as COVID-19 were experienced. Uh, Mike Adams says, are you supposing that they added this to the water supplies in big cities like New York City where there are, were major outbreaks? Dr. Ardis replies, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm convinced they've been targeting communities through the water system and getting them to drink it. And I've got a short video clip of what he says, so I'm going to play that for you. Sorry, Sorry are you supposing that perhaps this has been added to the water supplies in cities like New York City where there were big outbreaks? That's exactly what I'm saying. I actually am convinced that they've been targeting communities through their water systems and getting them to drink it. Wow. When I started, wow. when I started interviewing um, security detail, there was this guy named Bryce who came to my house, a special, special operations captain. And he was asking me why I was interviewing him after I was warned about a possible assassination list on my life or me on that list. And I told him a little bit about my research into COVID and I was working on a lot of stuff that no one else is talking about. And I'm about to release this data. And he goes, well, how do you think they're spreading it? And I said, uh, I think it's in the water. And he goes, seriously? And I said, yeah, this is just last week. I said, yes, I do. I'm convinced that's what it is. And he goes, do you remember the bat lady from Wuhan who escaped China and was going through New York and Washington? Do you remember this lady? The scientist from Wuhan. Bryce was assigned as a part of her security detail. And he said that he was with her when she was testifying in Washington, D.C. And they asked her, when you guys are doing gain-of-function testing at Wuhan, how, how is it that you guys are determining if it will work or not? Do you all do any experiments there? And she said, we experiment all the time. We actually select communities all around the lab to actually test out our gain-of-function products. And they said, well, how do you do it? How do you distribute it? And guess what she said? We take our gain-of-function products and we put it in water and then we freeze it and we cut it up into ice cubes and we deliver it to the communities for them to drink it. And then we bring the antidotes to fix those people. And this security detail individual looked at me and said, this is only the second time I've ever heard water might be the actual source for COVID-19. So this means, if true, they can have an outbreak anywhere they want. And by the way, there doesn't need to be any viral transmission to achieve this whatsoever. And in addition, then they arrive with the treatment, the cure, the EUA, which causes more death, which exacerbates the so-called outbreak, which drives people through fear into vaccines, which are based on the venom, as you're saying. Exactly right. Dr. Ardis surmised that using water is how they targeted specific communities. And I'm going to play another small clip uh, for you. Before people go out and start doing their own research, you just have to understand governments around the entire world where they've had the highest amounts of cases of COVID-19 and deaths from COVID-19, all of them have had their federal health agencies doing stuff with their water. All of them. 
from the beginning of the pandemic. So before people reach out to me and start bad-mouthing me, trying to defame me, trying to de like or ruin my reputation or whatever for my claims, I'm not claiming that I know it's in the water. This is what I, I surmise is how they're targeting specific communities. Like, for example, Zev Zelenko's community, I asked him, Tell me about your community, your Jewish community in New York. He said it was one square mile. And I said, in my head, I was like, you know how easy it would have been to target all the Jews in that one community just by putting it in their water system and let it go? You know how easy it would have been to create an outbreak epicenter in New York? Just put it in a water system that goes up one skyscraper with thousands of people in it? Not everybody gets sick with COVID. Kids don't get sick with COVID. Do you know that they can actually take rats right now? They can inject them with drugs that create diabetes and then put crude cobra venom injected into both sets of mice. Those who now have diabetes induced by drugs, the other mice have no diseases. They take the same amount of cobra venom injected into both groups. The actual rats that have no disease processes, it's a sublethal dose. These don't die. They don't even get sick. This one does. They are targeting specific individuals. With comorbidities, like you heard here on the show, which is ridiculous, I think they figured out how to target them. The goal is not to try to convince you where it is. I'm not scared about the water. Remember, if the bioweapon was put in water or put in the air, less than 1% of the whole world died. So it wasn't really successful at killing you, but remdesivir is. The vaccines have been way more deadly than the actual bioweapon. So I think his message, though, is don't get so hung up on this water thing, which was, as I said before, that was something that was... Uh, used by uh, Stu Peters in that original Watch the Water interview, really, as clickbait. So um, he does go into more detail on this later in the interview, which I'll be covering. And I must say, that does explain my reservations about how it could be selective. Um, as he said, remdesivir and the vaccines have been far more deadly than the virus. So corticosteroids are proven to reduce the inflammatory effects of the venom inside your body. That's what they were looking for in the blacklist episode for the victim of poisoning. It was theory until a peer-reviewed study published in October 2021. Toxin-like peptides in plasma, urine and fecal samples from COVID-19 patients. In Italy, they took 20 COVID-19 PCR positive tested and 10 negative COVID PCR tested and took poop, pee and blood samples and they ran it through databases looking to see if there were any toxic peptides in the COVID-19 positive people versus the control group, the negative PCR tested. The conclusions provided the proof I've been looking for for the last four months. Toxin-like peptides, almost identical to toxic components of venoms from animals like conotoxins from the cone snail, which is a marine snail and the most deadly venom on the planet that has been mass manufactured since 1989 as a synthetic and phospholipases from snake venoms, phosphodiesterases, zinc metal proteinases and bradykinins were identified in the samples of the COVID-19 positive patients, but not in any of the negative COVID-19 patients. In Italy, all 20 of the tested positive COVID-19 patients the types of toxic-like peptides found resemble known conotoxins, phospholipase A2 metalloproteinases, prothrombin activators, coagulation factors usually present in animal venoms which are known to have high specificity and affinity towards human ion channel receptors in transporters of the nervous system like the nicotinic acetylcholine receptor, which is something that we covered in the last show um, that he was explaining, is where the venom attaches and that if you're a smoker using nicotine, it gets there first and blocks the, the venom from attaching to that particular receptor. Super antigen-like motif and the S1 spike protein, as well as two other neurotoxin-like motifs, have peptide similarities to neurotoxins from king cobras 
And from crates, we conclude that the neurotoxin-like motifs are present in SARS-CoV-2 protein products acting as neurotoxin-like peptides. So I looked up what a motif is because um, I wasn't familiar with the term. A motif is a sequence of protein or DNA sequence that has a specific structure. It is applied mainly to DNA, RNA and protein. Um, and Dr. Ellis explains this is a peer-reviewed journal article from Italy from October 2021. The title is Toxin-Like Peptides in Plasma, Urine and Fecal Samples from COVID-19 Patients V2 Peer-Reviewed F1000 Research 2021. We checked in the full set of peptides that we got here and we report only 36 examples, as Dr. Ardis says, because they found more. We identified in plasma and faecal samples toxin-like peptides mapping on crate 1A alpha bungaro toxin, 1 beta bungaro toxin from the Malayan crate, Kappa 2 Bungaro toxin crate and Alpha Bungaro toxin from many banded crates, which were reported by, and the word I, I couldn't um, interpret, colleagues. Furthermore, we looked at the amino acid changes currently reported in GISAID data analyzed by COVID GluViz update and occurred in this motif identified by these authors as homologous to neurotoxin motifs of animal venom proteins. I have to say this particular section was pretty hard to understand what Dr. Ardis was saying, mainly because I'm not familiar with all these scientific terms. We observed the existence of amino acid variations, which makes the motif even more similar to the neurotoxin motifs of animal venom proteins. Mike Adams says, so they're finding that COVID is venom. Dr. Ardis, in this study, they have a whole chart of 36 animal venoms. 20 are snake peptides from crate, brown snake and cobra. Most are crates and cobras. French scientists identified in April 2020 that the Bungaro toxin from the crate and cobra venom peptides were the two most identical sequences to the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein and laid out the PRRA man-made genetic sequence that they believed was identified as being tied to the SARS-CoV-2 virus and then they had the bungaro toxin a crate peptide and the cobra peptide tied to it it's either proven by this french study that the peptides of bungaro toxin or cobra toxin are attached to a virus and is aerosolized or it's in the water and you're drinking it and it's just straight venom peptides that they've already been mass producing for years and years we now have proof that venom peptides are found within the tissues of COVID-19 patients. Mike Adams says if it was in the water, it would be pretty low dose by the time it got to somebody because of the volume of water that moves through the water system. And who is still drinking tap water? Is anyone still doing that? In the blacklist, and this is Dr. Ardis, the apothecary poisons his wife using eye drops. If you're in the shower and get water in your eyes, it gets into your system and can have exactly the same effect. And Mike Adams says, all the steam in your shower, you're inhaling it. Dr. Ardis, these are peptides that don't target everyone. And if it's in the water, it's diluted. So it's a sublethal dose. They can inject a mouse with a sublethal dose of cobra venom and they don't get diseases or die. But those with comorbidities, they would actually die or get extremely ill. Mike Adams. So someone who's just drinking well water wouldn't be affected by this. I drink rainwater only. Dr. Ardis. Every single person I've asked who's on well water 
hasn't had COVID. The LA Raiders Hall of Fame Marcus Allen walked up to me at an event in New Jersey and told me a story about his dad, set 87 years old, being put into a hospital who was totally healthy. His family gets a call that his dad has been diagnosed with renal failure and positive for COVID-19. And Marcus said, I didn't care who was trying to stop me. I called the doctors, got to the medical doctor, chewed him out and said, there's no way on the planet you're giving my dad remdesivir. It causes acute kidney failure, heart failure, liver failure. And he started quoting all my stuff. And I looked at him and said, you do know I'm the remdesivir guy, right? And he looked at me and got so excited and said, oh, my God, I follow you. You saved my dad's life. I would have never known about remdesivir otherwise. He said he and his wife never got COVID. And I said, do you live on a well? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, those with wells don't. The main reason Dr. Ardis is on the assassination list is because he keeps people out of hospitals and stops them being treated with remdesivir. That's what he said. Except he's been doing this for two years and now suddenly when he's released this data on venom and COVID-19, he's now number one. It may also be that he believes it's a religious war. He uses the word religious deliberately, purposely. He believes it is tied to the Vatican. The Great Hall, and this is something that Mike Adams mentions, uh, the Great Hall looks like a giant serpent inside, and it's the shape of a serpent's head on the outside. And I'm going to share um, some details about this from an article that I found, just to go into a little bit more detail on this. And in case you're not familiar with it, uh, this is a, an article from renegadetribune.com. And it was first published January 31st, 2018, so four years ago, over four years ago, inside the Pope's Reptilian Audience Hall in Vatican City by Buck Rogers. Among the many strange and suspicious statues, fountains, facades and structures that occupy Vatican City, the Pope's Audience Hall stands out for its uncanny resemblance to a snake. Completed in 1971, the peculiar structure sits only partly within the actual boundary of the city-state, and the whole building, inside and out, is unmistakably reptilian. It's officially named the Paul VI Audience Hall, after Pope Paul VI, who reigned from 1963 to 1978. Apparently, he was a decent pope, although he has been implicated in covering up or ignoring the sexual abuse of young boys by members of the Catholic clergy. He was alerted to these scandals in a letter by Reverend Gerald M.C. Fitzgerald in August 1963 and was advised to take serious action against paedophiles, although he never did anything. In this overhead photo, the building stands out for its unusual shape, which is innocuous enough until juxtaposed with a viper's head. Notice the similarities in the shape, the roofing and scaly skin and the placement of eyes. Designed by award-winning Italian architect Pierluigi Nervi, the building is designed to seat 6,300 people for conference with the Pope himself, who presents from a stage in front of a giant satanic-looking sculpture. Named the Resurrection, La Resurrezione, the sculpture was designed by... Pericle Fazzini and was inspired by the idea of Christ rising from the blast of a nuclear explosion. And this is a quote from this um, artist. Suddenly there came to me the idea of Christ preaching peace for 2,000 years and the place where he prayed for the last time, the olive grove, grove of Gethsemane, said Mr. Fazzini in a book about the work. I had the idea of depicting Christ as if he were rising again from the explosion of this large olive grove, peaceful sight of his last prayers. Christ rising, rises from this crater torn open by a nuclear bomb, an atrocious explosion, a vortex of violence and energy. Can you believe this stuff? Oddly, from an angle, the head of Christ looks suspiciously like the head of a snake, 
with its fangs open, prepared to bite. And there's a close-up uh, of this. And actually, um, it looks like the head of a reptile. It almost like the, you know, the reptilian ETs that we've seen um, images of. The interior of the audience hall also closely resembles a serpent, strikingly with two fangs positioned over the stage. Both from the stage and from the audience's entryway, the room unmistakably resembles a snake, even though some write this off as delusional thinking, warning people away from considering its deeper meaning. Human pattern recognition is wonky. This again is a quote. We tend to see faces in clouds and rock formations. Same here. Pareidolia, it is called. The photographer specifically selected lens and positioners to invoke snake imagery. There is no snake in the real hall. There is only one in the distorted picture because it was a neat feature to put into the picture. So that's the end of the quote. Here is the view from the entryway. Is this just a trick on the eyes? And from the Pope's position on stage with more teeth. The massive stained glass windows on the sides of the hall are also quite reptilian in their design, featuring vertical slits in oval-shaped eyes. Symbolism and esoteric meaning. The Vatican, while located in Rome, is its own sovereign nation-state, and a look around the grounds reveals unimaginable wealth and a plethora of strangely symbolic pieces. The famous Fontana della Pina is a massive pine cone which is believed by many to represent the pineal gland, a tiny gland within the human brain believed to be the source of spiritual experience. Of course, the Vatican itself is easily recognisable from above as a giant keyhole, symbolising the gates of heaven. Design like this does not happen per chance, and the world's capital of great architecture, Rome, it is ludicrous to think that a famous architect could design a building that just accidentally looks like a giant snake's head, even though the Vatican denies the resemblance. For years, independent investigators have worked to point out the dark symbolism of the Catholic Church, noting that symbolism in architecture has long been used to convey hidden meaning. Again, a couple of quotes here from the Bible. Yahweh sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many people of Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against Yahweh and against you. Pray to Yahweh that he take away the serpents from us. Moses prayed for the people. Yahweh said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard and it shall happen that everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. Moses made a serpent of brass and set it on the standard. And it happened that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked to the serpent of brass, he lived. And that was the Bible Numbers 21, 4b to 9. And that made me think of um, the staff with the snake around it that is a symbol of medicine, interestingly. In the Bible, the snake symbolises both wisdom, as in the Adam and Eve tale, but more commonly it represents the presence of all evil. Perhaps most common is the portrayal of the serpent as an enemy in general or as Satan in particular. If you add to this the story of the Illuminati bloodlines and the theory that the global elite are part of a reptilian hybrid race of non-humans who rule over us with powerful institutions like the church then the Pope's audience hall invokes even more curiosity. Either way, the audience hall definitely has an evil vibe to it, and this is no accident. And of course, we know that the three key centres um, of the Illuminati are the Vatican, the City of London and Washington, D.C. And of course, Q always said symbolism will be their downfall. So what if they are using the greatest symbol of evil and representative of Satan using the serpent's venom to intoxicate and envenomate the whole world and then inject its DNA into human DNA? Mike Adams says transhumanism into serpentine transformation. Dr. Ardis, 
Douglas Hamp Ministries, there's an article entitled How the Mark of the Beast Will Rewrite the Human Genome. And he reads out a section from this. I actually looked up the article, so I'm going to read it from, from the actual source. And the website is douglashamp.com. How the Mark of the Beast Will Rewrite the Human Genome, Part 3 of Corrupting the Image. The Genetics of the Deception, Recombinant DNA. The technology known as recombinant DNA, in fact, now makes it possible for a grown man or woman to be altered at the genetic level. If a non-human were introduced into the human genome, then the person would no longer be fully human, but would, by definition, become a hybrid. The ancient name for a creature that is composed of different kinds is known as a chimera, and that is also the name given to hybrid creatures by scientists today. We considered some strange creatures in a previous chapter, such as the spider goat and the green glowing pigs, to name a few. Recombinant DNA is hybrid DNA that has been created from more than one source. The basic procedure is where a DNA strand is opened up and then a gene from another organism is inserted, making a new strand of DNA. Then the RNA replicates the new strand and it is passed into the entire system. When recombinant DNA is then further altered or changed to host additional strands of DNA, the molecule formed is referred to as chimeric DNA molecule with reference to the mythological chimera that consisted as a composite of several animals. By means of recombinant DNA, Satan may be able to convince humanity to insert demonic genes perceived as desirable into the human genome. The genetic composition of the person, therefore, would result in that person becoming a chimera. Using recombinant DNA, a fully mature man could inject himself with the selected gene or genes of another species. The process, which is really just a matter of copying and pasting, is explained by T. Wakayama et al. in the July 1998 issue of Nature. In the late 70s, Dr. Stan Cohen from Stanford, studying antibiotic resistance plasmids in E. coli, and Dr. Herb Boyer, UCSF, studying restriction enzymes, realized that they could use restriction enzymes to cut both plasmid DNA as well as DNA containing a gene of interest and combine the DNA so that the sticky ends of each DNA could be joined or spliced to make a recombinant DNA, i.e. bacteria-human. Therefore, we can see how a man with access to technology and to Satan's seed could then merely inject it into his DNA. Then once inserted, his own RNA would copy the new strands with the foreign genes and it would spread throughout his entire system. Once the process of replication was complete, the man would no longer be a mere human. He would be, in essence, a chimera, a hybrid. He would be a chimera, a hybrid, a beast. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Revelation 13.15 Transhumanist and end times researcher Tom Horn has written a great deal about the coming consequences of man changing himself at the source code level. Horn's wife Nita has suggested that recombinant DNA, RDNA, may be the means by which the mark of the beast is introduced onto an unsuspecting world through the rewriting of one's DNA so that the person is no longer fully human but is part beast, antichrist. The suggestion appears valid in light of all that we have learned. In the conclusion, and I've just picked out a few pieces from this, uh, to whom would Satan be willing to give of his own genetic material? Crossing the line of mixing different kinds is against the natural law of God. The sons of God that did so in the days of Noah got themselves thrown into the pit, abyss Tartarus, as testified by Peter, who says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but threw them into hell and locked them up in chains in utter darkness to be kept until the judgment. 
We know that Satan will find himself thrown into the abyss right after the great tribulation and perhaps fathering his own son is the line that he is not permitted to cross. Therefore, Satan must be very selective of this person. We can presume that this person will have all of the worldly advantages possible, the best education, all the power, riches and technology. He will worship Lucifer and will lust for the ultimate power to have greater than human capacity. This person will indeed be the one that Jesus spoke of who gains the whole world but loses his soul. Matthew 16:26. The kingdoms of the world that Satan offered to Jesus, this person will possess. And um, it references Appendix 5 of his book for a socio-economic sketch of the Antichrist. So that's not exactly what Dr. Ardis picked out of that article, but I, I picked out the things that I thought would be useful in uh, exploring this subject. Now, Dr. Ardis goes on to say that in 1976, Dr. Stanley Cohen and Dr. Herb Boyer, who are the people that were referenced in this article working with recombinant DNA, they founded a company called Genentech, Dr. Stanley Cohen won the Nobel Prize in 1986 for the discovery of nerve growth factor using King Cobra Venom. And Genentech is the company that was mentioned in the previous interview working in the realm of snake venom, if I remember rightly. Recombinant DNA is what drew Weissman and Catalina at the University of Pennsylvania have been working with for the last 11 years. Dr. Stella Emanuel talks non-stop that anyone who has taken the mRNA vaccine needs to pray for forgiveness and to have the evil spirit removed from them. She doesn't even understand this concept, but he thinks she intuitively knows. She has since been interviewed, this is me talking now, by Stu Peters to talk about the spiritual aspects of Dr. Ardis's revelations. Mike Adams says, the son of Satan, if you've taken the mRNA vaccine, you've been infected with the instructions for venom. Your genes are being altered with the serpent's poison. So to wrap all this up, Mike Adams says, and so rather than take all notes on this, I recorded a short video clip of what they were saying. So to wrap all this up, what you're outlining here is not just a crime against humanity. It is the, the ultimate betrayal of the medical system, which has become a system of satanic death and poison, venom, disguised as medicine, that the pandemic was engineered, treatments were engineered, anything that worked was banished. The science journals have published, they've known about this all along, the scientists involved in this have known all along, according to what you're saying, and yet the media covered this up, big tech censored anything, they'll try to censor this interview, obviously, to keep injecting people with, as you're describing it, more snake venom, and they've already injected, I believe it's over 5 billion people. Dr. Ardis goes on to say, in 2015, they did a study with crate venom. And they found there are nine plant extracts that block all the toxic and poisonous aspects of crepe venom. When Judy Mikovits was in the pandemic documentary and Mickey Wallace asked her, what's the antidote for these people who are getting these shots? She said suramin, which is also effective against snake bite. He has asked Dr. Judy, how did you know suramin was an antidote? And that's Dr. Ardis who asked Dr. Judy. Now, Dr. Ardis references this study, which is uh, published on the NIH website, 100 Years of Suramin. And it starts with a definition of suramin. Suramin is 100 years old and is still being used to treat the first stage of acute human sleeping sickness caused by Trypanosoma brucei rhodesiens, which is obviously a parasite. Now, quite a way down the article, under the heading Suramin as an Antiparasitic Drug, it says, uh, however, suramin was subsequently replaced by the less toxic and orally bioavailable ivermectin. The adverse effects of suramin 
are indeed manifold, including nephrotoxicity, hypersensitivity reactions, dermatitis, anemia, peripheral neuropathy and bone marrow toxicity. And then Dr. Ardis points us to the section suramin as an antidote. Three of the many biological activities of suramin support its potential use as a protective agent. The inhibition of thrombin, the inhibition of phospholipase A2, and the inhibition of porinergic signaling. I think that's how you pronounce it. Several vipers possess toxins that mimic thrombin, perfidiously triggering the coagulation cascade in mammalian blood. Suramin not only inhibits thrombin itself, but also the thrombin-like proteases of snake venom and was therefore proposed as an antidote for snake bite. Other common constituents of metazoan venoms are phospholipases A2, which convert phospholipids into lysophospholipids. Again, suramin inhibits mammalian phospholipase A2, as well as the orthologs from snake venom and bee venom, suggesting that it can act as an antidote. So I guess it raises the question, and Dr. Ardis didn't answer this specifically, that if ivermectin has the same properties as suramin, then perhaps it is also a useful antidote to snake venom. Then interestingly, Dr. Ardis goes on to say, Surinim is not isolated from pine needle tea. And we know pine needle tea has been suggested as a way to detoxify after the mRNA vaccine. Surinim is a drug made by Bayer. And Mike Adams says, but there is also shikimic acid from pine needles, which can also be very beneficial and is found in many other things. And I found an article on deeprootsathome.com that um, talks about three foods that contain shikimic acid to halt spike protein transmission. Uh, the prestigious Salk Institute has authored a bombshell revealing that the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein is what's actually causing vascular damage in COVID patients and likely COVID vaccine recipients, promoting the strokes, heart attacks, migraines, blood clots and other harmful reactions that have already killed thousands of Americans. Critically, all four COVID vaccine brands currently in widespread use either inject patients with the spike protein or, via mRNA technology, instruct the patient's own body to manufacture spike proteins and release them into their own blood. Interestingly, that was sourced from Natural News, of course, who is Mike Adams. This floods the patient's body with the very spike protein that the Salk Institute has now identified as a smoking gun cause of vascular damage and related events, such as blood clots, which are killing many people who take the vaccines. Put simply, it means the vaccines, um, experimental gene therapy, were designed to contain the very element that's killing people. Is there a way to stop the vascular damage in COVID patients and COVID vaccine recipients? Through research, I learned about shikimic acid, a plant phytochemical that's touted for reducing platelet aggregation. There are at least three foods in the plant kingdom that contain relevant levels. Why is shikimic acid important to us? Shikimic acid offers antiplatelet aggravating activity, meaning it helps halt blood clots. So I'm just going to cover the three um, plants that he's talking about. The first is pine needle tea, the second is fennel seeds, and the third is star anise, an unusual star-shaped fruit. So that's a useful article to go and look at if you want to get rid of any spike proteins, because also we've heard about shedding from people who have been vaccinated. So carrying on with the article, the interview, sorry, Dr. Judy was right, says Dr. Ardis. You have to use more corticosteroids, zinc, HCQ, hydroxychloroquine, or ivermectin, NAC, and vitamin C and D. Mike Adams, as long as people keep getting injected, there'll be more people dying. It's a venom injection protocol, which is why they're never going to end this. And Dr. Ardis replies... 
the impact of mRNA from snake venom on fibrinogen, which is the blood clotting factor in the blood, embalmers are finding long strands of blood clots in veins from people who died from COVID or after vaccination. You are replicating venom peptides with these mRNA injections and you're getting massive amounts of blood clotting factors that they're creating. We need blood samples from these people to test for venom peptides and then the whole world will know what's going on. He actually suggests that Mike Adams might be able to do this, but later on in the in the interview, he says that the um, the peptides in venom are very large molecules and the testing that he does they don't have the equipment that could handle the large molecules of the snake venom dr ardis goes on to say it is my prayer that i bring this to the world i believe god inspired me to go look at this through the md that sent me the first text mike adams i wonder if there are snake bite test kits that you can buy over the counter and put vaccine liquid on it and see if it tests positive Dr. Ardis, if you put any of the mRNA vaccines on an ELISA IG test and see if it goes positive, you'll all be disgusted. And it's, he's rounding up the interview now um, and saying, where can people find you? It's the com. He's also on Rumble and Telegram. And Dr. Ardis goes on to say, my goal is to thwart their agenda of harm. Dr. Ardis said he knew in May 2020 that remdesivir was toxic and that Dr. Fauci was lying about it, and he tried to get this info out to the media. He called it the Dr. Fauci genocide in May 2020, before anyone knew who Dr. Fauci was. He knew it was a genocidal setup to only allow the use of one drug to treat COVID. The USA has had more COVID deaths than any other country worldwide, over 1 million COVID-treated deaths in America. And he always emphasises COVID-treated. Mike Adams, it's where the treatment, remdesivir, is most available. Dr. Ardis, and America is the only country using it. Exports of it weren't allowed until October 2020. Mike Adams, we knew it was genocide. We just didn't understand the mechanism until you did all this research. Dr. Ardis is asking all governments around the world to stop using remdesivir and to test it for snake venoms, just like in the Italy study, and then hold these people accountable for lying to us. Mike Adams, this is the most horrific conspiracy in human history. Dr. Ardis, this could be the greatest evil ever projected on the entire world. Please treat COVID as an envenomation. That's how to treat it. So that's the end of that interview. But there's a follow-up interview with Mike Adams. And I didn't have time to go through all of it, but I did um, pick out from the beginning some key points about this whole focus on watch the water and with the venom being distributed through the water system. So I'm going to cover as much as I can of this. Dr. Ardis, the overall response to the information that he's put out in these different interviews has been supportive. He was hoping any holes in his research would be filled by other experts. Most pushback was about the water. Water has not been the story, nor the biggest part of the story. He has said for the past two years, whatever the bioweapon is, it's not very good because less than 1% of the entire world has died from it. God's creation has been much greater than man's bioweapon, whatever it is. Mike Adams, over the years, the water supply has been poisoned with toxic fluoride, a neurotoxic chemical. In every municipal water centre, there is a machine that drips that poison into the water supply. So how can anyone say they're not poisoning everyone with the water? Secondly, what about Flint, Michigan, or the lead poisoning in the water supply? To say that you can't be poisoned with the water supply is just ignorant. Dr. Ardis, if the CDC is looking for SARS-CoV-2 in the wastewater to predict the outbreaks, are they filtering it out? There's no mention of that. 
So that's as far as I got with that follow-up interview, but I will be listening to the rest of it and I can report on that on this coming Saturday show. And of course, there are other things going on as well. There's been some interesting information come out from the Durham investigation as well, which I'll just cover quickly before I finish for today. Durham, five Hillary Clinton associates are taking the fifth in Russia hoax prosecution. And this is Breitbart.com, and it was uh, published on the 18th. Five associates of Hillary Clinton and her presidential campaign are invoking their Fifth Amendment rights and refusing to cooperate with special counsel John H. Durham, according to a filing in federal court revealed later Friday in Washington, D.C., The revelation emerged in a motion filed by Durham to oppose the efforts of defendant Michael Sussman and the Clinton campaign to withhold some documents from evidence by asserting attorney-client privilege. Uh, Sussman is charged with lying to the FBI in 2016 when he informed the FBI about a fraudulent link between then-candidate Donald Trump and the Russian government via Alpha Bank. Sussman allegedly presented himself as a concerned citizen and hid the fact that he was working with the, for the Clinton campaign. In the filing, Durham noted that while one witness identified as researcher two was granted immunity from prosecution in exchange for testimony, at least five other witnesses who conducted work relating to the Russian Bank One allegations invoked or indicated their intent to invoke their right against self-incrimination. Legal scholar Jonathan Turley noted in a commentary on the filing, Durham is now moving to give immunity to a key witness while revealing that the claims made by the Clinton campaign were viewed by the CIA as not technically plausible and user-created. He also revealed that at least five of the former Clinton campaign contractors stroke researchers have invoked the Fifth Amendment and refused to cooperate in fear that they might incriminate themselves in criminal conduct. Turley also noted that Durham's filing also detailed how the false Russian collusion claims related to Alpha Bank involved Clinton General Counsel Mark Elias and Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele is the former British spy who worked for opposition research firm Fusion GPS to produce the fraudulent Russia dossier that triggered government surveillance of the Trump campaign and the broader Russia collusion conspiracy theory. Elias is a prominent election attorney for Democrats who arranged the funding for the dossier and went on to lead Democrats' efforts to force the adoption of vote-by-mail in key battleground states in the 2020 presidential election. Durham's filing indicates that the government wishes to introduce evidence of communications between the Clinton campaign leadership and campaign lawyer one, who is widely presumed to be Elias, about the Alpha Bank hoax. So, thankfully, the walls appear to be closing in on Hillary Clinton and the Clinton campaign and everything that they did to try and sabotage the 2016 election and, of course, um, President Trump's administration. So, just to summarise from today, we seem to be getting more and more plausible information that suggests that this hypothesis of Dr. Ardis about the venom could be true. And, you know, he is open to other qualified people actually looking into this and doing some research to test out his hypothesis. He's not trying to uh, railroad people into believing it because he's already rolled out a huge amount of um very supportive information from the research that he's been doing. And so personally, you know, I always tend to stay neutral and I I suspend judgment, shall I say, until I get absolutely irrevocable evidence that this is true. But to be honest, the dots do join together. It is plausible given the effects or the symptoms that COVID-19 Uh, sufferers and vaccinated people are experiencing which just mirror snake venom symptoms completely. So we'll have to wait and see if he comes out with more evidence or if somebody else steps forward and says 
yes, you know, here's some more evidence to support that. And I know I covered last week that we have had quite a number of rebuttals from people, but, you know, they haven't gone into this in the depth that Dr. Ardis has done. And as I said several times, Mike Adams has a very good scientific background. He even has his own laboratories to test the products that he's putting out on the market. So he is very much in alignment with Dr. Ardis in terms of believing that it's possible that this is true. And it ties in with this whole Luciferian and satanic agenda, which is out there in plain sight. We see it in the media. We see it from Hollywood. We see it in the music videos. We see it in the halftime shows at Super Bowl everywhere. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if this turned out to be true. So I've run out of time. I'm afraid I'm a little over time. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show on Saturday. Thank you to Nancy for producing and also to Derek Condit of mysticalwares.com for sponsoring Cosmic Reality Radio. Stay safe and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com.